Hello, I'm Osman. <laughs> if you can't tell, I'm really nervous. I don't like talking to people I don't know. My parents taught me at a young age, don't talk to strangers. So, hi. There's a PowerPoint I made, it kind of helps. It's difficult when it's behind me and I can't see it. But yeah, there's my name, that's how you spell it. Um, most people think it's spelled O-S-M-O-N-D, like Donnie Osmond. I have a very close friend, when he's happy with me, he calls me Donnie, when he's not, he calls me Marie. <laughs> if you know who they are, it takes, yeah. Um, if you want to go to the next slide. Um, that is my home country. I was born there on December 19, 1988. Um, I am the second oldest son of a Muslim family. I had a twin brother who was born two minutes before I was, and as is a custom, he was named Muhammad, and I was named after my grandfather who died the day I was born. He was in a car accident speeding to the hospital to meet his newborn grandson. My parents did not know I was coming, so when my mom was done pushing out my brother, I came which was a big surprise. <laughs> so I got named after my grandfather. Um, if you want to go to the next slide. Um, if you guys, well, for the older generation, you remember in 1993, Civil War broke out. There's a movie based on uh, my home country that's entitled Black Hawk Down. It was a story about these U.S. Marines that were sent in to help um, the U.N. with supplying food to Somalian people and because of a civil war. And yeah. Um, because of it, I and my parents ended up wanting to move away and come to the, to the U.S. Um, at the age of five, it was, we got this notice on our, on our house. My parents are a more wealthy Somalian family, and we had a house right at, um, in the capital of Mikidishu on the ocean front. And because of that, our house was more wanted by Somalian rebels because it meant that they didn't have to worry about um, roadside bombings or, traf or traffic control because they could just pull their boats right up to the houses. So we were given a month to move, and um, the month came and went. And on the day that we were supposed to move, we were packing all of our stuff into our boat. Um, my parents described that day as uh, fireworks were going off. But at five years old, you can figure out fireworks don't go off during the day. You can't see anything. But they were shooting people to tell them to leave, or to get them to leave the house if they were unwilling. And due to it, um, my mother forgot my younger brother upstairs. My mom went to go get him, and my grandfather, my, my dad's dad, realized that she wouldn't make it in time. So he went into the kitchen, grabbed a butchering knife, and ran out the front door. And next thing we knew, there were fireworks, and we left. Um, it, uh, we were in the boat for about two days. Um, if you, the couple that have children know this, how well can five-year-olds sit on a boat? Especially one that's got like a, four, a 14cc little, it's not a, it, it's not a big boat. Here it is. Um, our, I like that. That's the question we always ask my parents. Are we there yet? <laughs> there was never an answer. Um, due to it, we ended up tipping the boat. And because of my mom's, my mom um, was pregnant at the time, so my dad went to go get her. And then my older sister, I had two older sisters. I got me and my younger sister, who's a year younger. And then that left, I mean, my baby brother was with my mom. So that left one person out. My twin brother ended up drowning because of that. And that was a pretty traumatic experience for me. A day later, we, we never ended up burying his body. We just left it where it was. And... 
a day later, we got to the Kenyan border, and the Kenyan patrolman, was, I was still a little hysterical from it, was trying to get me to calm down and to shut up, in a sense. Sorry for my language. And he took his cigarette and burned it into my arm, thinking that would get a five-year-old to stop, talk, stop being a little flustered. I ended up biting him really hard, so if I ever find a reformed uh, Kenyan officer who has a bite mark of a five-year-old, him and, him and I have met before. Um, if you want to go to the next slide. So when we left, um, we ended up moving around a lot. The first country we moved to was Kenya at the border. Patrol, we were there for three months while my parents got their finances together. And then we moved to um, Egypt for three months. We had family living there at the time. And then Poland... And then finally, France, where my aunt still lives now. It took a full year before we came to the U.S. If you want to skip to the next slide. Yeah, coming to America. Um, the first state that my parents moved into was um, Atlantic, Georgia, because my dad got a job as an anesthesiologist. Um, his joke is he likes to pass gas and knock out people for a living. <laughs> I never got the joke until I turned a teen. <laughs> um, so we moved, we moved from Atlantic, Georgia, then to Tennessee, and then I had a baby brother born there. And then, if you want to skip to the next slide, um, at the age of six, when I came to the U.S., I started learning, um, I spoke Somalian at home, I started learning my ABCs at school, and then um, custom for Muslim students, at the age of six, you start Arabic school, so you start learning the basics of Arabic, and my parents opted for us to learn Hebrew as well. So from six to nine years old, I spent every Saturday and Sunday from 11 until four, away from my parents, learning a different language, and you thought you had it hard. And if you want to skip to the next slide, you, you did. Yeah. The English language is so complex. There's two different meanings for one word. If you read the word red, it also means read and read. If you know the word write and write, um, for the longest time, I could not tell the difference. I complained. It's the same thing. So when I'm writing down directions on how to get to my house, I would write, take a write, W-R-I-T-R-T-H-E, and then instead of R-I... G-H-T. My, my spelling is horrible. Please forgive me. Um, so yeah, that was my childhood. And then uh, if you want to skip to the next slide. So when I was about eight, years, eight, nine years old, my parents decided to move to Minneapolis when my dad got a job with the Mayo Clinic. And this is, I remember my parents were showing us picture. This is what they told us Minnesota looks like. It is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's green. And I'm like, we live in Tennessee. It's so nice here. If you go to the next slide, we moved when you had the blizzard. <laughs> Remember the Halloween blizzard where your kids were literally stuck in snow? That's when we came. And that's not what the pictures show at all. And it was horrible. <laughs> we left 110 degree high and 75 degree low for negative 30 below. I don't know what they were thinking. But, uh, and can you believe this? Minneapolis has the largest Somalian population in the country. I don't know what's wrong with them. <laughs> it, it makes no sense. But I, lo I love Minnesota. I absolutely do. I love it now. I'm happy the snow is gone. So, <laughs> but if you want to go to the next slide. Um, when I got to middle school, there was a, a shooting that occurred. And because of it, um, one of the, or there, was a, there was a shooting by my middle school, and because of it, one of the kids got shot and killed. So my parents were uncomfortable living in the, in the city area in an atmosphere like that. So they decided that we were going to move again. 
And if you want to go to Mangato, that is my hometown. That is where I've lived for 12 years of my life and I've come to come home. Um, that's, our, that was our, that's a picture of our first house in Mankato. And then if you want to go to the next slide. Uh, we, were, we lived on the west side of Mankato. So and if you're familiar with Mankato, they have three major schools. It's Loyola, which is a private Christian school, and then Mankato West and then Mankato East. Um, and then when we, my sisters were getting to the age to graduate, they were juniors and seniors in high school, my parents decided to buy up a little land and build another house and then move to the east side. So I went from wearing red and white all day, every day, to wearing gold and black, which is kind of hard. When my first day, I wore a shirt that says Mankato West. They don't like that at Mankato East. No. It, I didn't make friends right away. Um, if you want to skip to the next slide, this is a picture of my best friend, Adam Banfield. Um, he, is the, he is one of three children. His, he has an older brother, Jonathan, who's a youth pastor in Michigan, and then he has a younger sister, Elizabeth, who is just finishing up her first year at Garner-Webb. Adam is just finished his master's at Stanford University with engineering, um, and he's a pastor's kid. So my best friend was a pastor's kid, and I grew up Muslim, which was kind of weird for that. Our friendship would be formed, but it did. We met in ninth grade. We ended up being in the same AP classes, um, and as Adam was going to youth group and all those fun experiences. I was going to Muslim school, and at that point, at the age of 14 years old, I graduated from my mosque, one, me, one of three other students. And the, the way you graduate is you sit down in front of three professors from New York, and, or Muslim professors, and from New York, and they open up the Quran, you get it, you get page one, they shut it, and then you start reciting it after page one. And you sit there, and for four hours and 36 minutes, I sat and recited the Old Testament from um, Genesis to Malachi from memory. I made one mistake halfway through because apparently I have adapted a Minnesotan accent when I'm speaking in Arabic because I pronounced the word wrong and I had to start over, which is very difficult and very frustrating when you can't argue back. But uh, so... That was my background, and Adam's background was he went to youth group, he led Bible studies. Um, when, he was, when he got into high school, he started leading Bible summer su- Sunday school with the little kids. So we came up from two different lifestyles, but our friendship bonded. Um, if you want to skip to the next slide. Adam finally, in what was it, Jewish, <laughs> sophomore year of high school, Adam is an extreme introvert, which means he does not get energy from or being around people. He's more... Individual, uh, he likes to work on, on his own and have his own time. So there was an event at youth group that he, he invited me to because I'm an extrovert. I like to talk and meet new people unless I'm standing up in front of them and they're not talking back. It's really nerve-wracking. Go back. <laughs> Go back one time. So there's a game called Bigger and Better that youth group plays. It's, you start with a penny. You knock on someone's door and you tell them, well, we're with the Mankato Be- uh, Bethel Baptist youth group. We're playing this game called Bigger and Better. Um, we, you start with a penny. So you ask them for something that's bigger or better than the penny. And then whatever they give you, you go to the next house and you keep exchanging back and forth. Um, you get a two-hour span. It's guys versus girls. And the guys, we came back with two couches and a crib. <laughs> in two hours, we bought all of that for a penny. So yeah, right? Guys did well. Girls cheated every year. And they came back straight off a penny, went to Grandpa's farm, and bought a goat. And the pastor, apparently, a youth pastor, felt that a living creature was more value than two couches and a crib we donated to a couple who just had a baby. So the girls won, of course. 
Um, so <laughs> I enjoyed youth group. It was different. It's, it, the atmosphere is so much more different than having to constantly sit there and learn scripture and memorizing it and then getting awards for being able to memorize as much as you can. It's different to be in an atmosphere where it's fun and you're not in a classroom. So imagine going to school Monday through Friday and then on the weekends you're going to school. It's not very entertaining. So youth group was, I loved it. I loved it so much. I kept going. But I would skip one, every other week I'd go because um, one week they would spend going through um, the Bible. They would have an implode night where they implode on themselves in going to scripture and then the other week they would have explode nights which is exploding into the community which is a good term for youth group kids because they do explode. Not literal. Um, so if you want to go to the next slide. I finally went to an implode night and they were talking about Genesis 22 when Abraham takes Isaac to be a burnt offering. That, that was my first sign that something was wrong because I grew up with Ishmael being a burnt offering, not Isaac. And that was a clear indication there was something different about the Bible than the Quran because I thought they were the same for the longest time. And then I found out that they aren't. So the youth pastor gave me a Bible and told me, just take it home, read it. If you have any questions, just come back. And so I did. I took, that, I took, this is really bad. I took the Bible home, and then I took a red marker and started <laughs> correcting mistakes that I found. There was a lot. So, but when I got to the New Testament, which doesn't exist in the Quran, um, that was a culture shock to read about Jesus and to read, because um, at, to that point, Jesus is just like any of the minor prophets in the Muslim world. They accept him as being a prophet of God and, and like speaking truth, but I didn't know anything about him. So then I started learning about his ministry. I started learning about the miracles that he performed. And then, I met, and then I met all the disciples and got to reading their books. And then I met Saul. I loved Saul. That sounds really bad. And he persecuted Christians. He was killing them. And then I met Paul, and I was like, what is going on? Why would God taught? Why would, why, what happened in his life that he would transition from being persecuting the Christians to being persecuted? Paul spent more time in prison and got flogged than anyone else. And he's written what is it, two-thirds of the New Testament? And just to see his life transformed just kind of was a shock. So then I started meeting, I think it's the next slide, um, with Pastor Dave, which is Adam. Those are, Jonathan's in the yellow, Elizabeth's in the white, and then Adam, and I'm in the middle. And Pastor Dave is at the end, which is now my father in a sense. Um, I started meeting with Pastor Dave on Wednesday, or Fridays after uh, tra- cross-country and track practice. I would meet him for Chipotle, which is a my favorite restaurant if you've ever gone. Um, so we go to Chipotle, and then I just ask him questions. And Pastor Dave gave me a response that my Muslim teachers never gave me. And that when I grew up, I grew up, you always keep things scripture. You always make your arguments about using scripture, and you always stay within the word. You never um, divulge from it, or you never misread it or misuse it. So when I would ask them a question, and they would tell me, well, just go back to scripture, it kind of it gets hard when you have it memorized and you're asking them questions and they're telling you to go back to it. It just kind of seemed like a cop-out. They never answered a question fully. But with Pastor Dave, he gave me the first response any biblical teacher has ever given me, and that was, I don't know. I simply, I have no idea. Like, when, when I asked him a question, but I'm willing to figure it out with you. And because of that, we formed a relationship and we met every single Friday, and we went through all these questions. And most recently, he, they came up November and had a potluck for my friends and treated them to Sloppy Joe. And Sarah, one of my friends, asked Pastor Dave, what was it like for those three years that you met with Osman? What was, 
What was that? What was it from your point of view? Because I've heard it from mine. And I didn't know this, but Pastor Dave almost quit. 20 years of pastoring. And I almost made him quit his job because he was having a hard time. And I didn't, I, I felt so horrible. I'm like, you almost gave up your passion and the thing that led me to Christ because of my questions. And, but it was moving to know that I challenged not only my, my questioning my faith and my religion, but I was questioning his own faith and kind of making it difficult for him to answer. But if you want to go to the next slide, um, Pastor, I was, Pastor Dave and I had this as an analogy because um, the story is behind this. I hate roller coasters with an absolute passion. I'm terrified of them. I have no control. I spent three hours once in line with Adam in the youth group. As soon as we got to, the, to getting in the seat, I would walk right over it. I couldn't do it. It was just, I don't, you've got to be crazy to go on one of those things. So, but this is the analogy that Dave and I came up with. Life is like a roller coaster. We have our ups and downs, and sometimes we feel like we're, we're going backwards, or sometimes like we're stuck. But with the grace of God, we stay on the tracks, and Jesus Christ is our seat buddy. So, whenever it came to dedicating my life to Christ, this would be my analogy. I knew that, that giving up my life and taking, letting God take control would be getting in that seat, and I wasn't ready for it. So I kept avoiding it whenever the subject came up. And yeah, if you want to go to the next slide. Um, this is one of my passions when I was in high school and my first two years of college. I ran cross-country and track, and you have n- there's no better time to think and to compliment or to think about your life than when you're on a 10-mile run torturing yourself in a sense. But uh, so during one of my runs, I was on a 15-mile run, and then I took a two-and-a-half-mile detour. I kept having this recurring um, nightmare where I was running in the woods, and something was chasing me. And I, I feared for my life, in a sense, because I had no idea what was behind me. And back in high school, just keep in mind, I ran a 410 mile. For something to keep up with me was a pretty scary thought. So I, I finally get to this clearing, and I look back, and it's myself. And I kept having that nightmare over and over. And I was thinking about it during my 15-mile run. And, and finally, Pastor Dave and I talked about it. And he's like, Oswin, the reason you keep having this recurring nightmare is because I would go to youth group, but on the weekends, I would go to Muslim school and teach younger kids the basics of Arabic and Hebrew. And, and he's like, your, your, your life is being torn apart between these two. And there's a verse I wanted to share with you, Hebrews 4.12, if you want to flip to it. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even, the, even to dividing souls and soul and spirit, just, uh, joints and... Oh, I can't pronounce this out loud. It, justifies, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So as I was studying the word with Pastor Dave on Fridays and going to youth group on Wednesdays, um, my heart was being split. My soul was being slit for, for, the, for the fact that I was living or living two different lifestyles, and my heart was being conflicted with one being what I wanted and the other being what I feared. And so during my run, I took a two-and-a-half-mile detour, and I ran to church, and I went up to Pastor Dave's office, and I'm standing there sweaty, and I tell him I'm ready to get in a seat. He looks at me, and he looks at the couch. He's like, wait, let me get a towel, because I was completely covered in sweat at that point. And, and I'm like, no, Dave, I'm ready to get in the seat. And then that meant I was ready to get baptized. And so he got whitey-eyed, gave me a big bear hug, and when he let go, he had like the perfect sweat imprint on his dress clothes. I felt so bad. Um, so yeah, I got baptized. I think the next slide is my baptism. Um, 
after my senior year, I went right after graduation. Um, I went on a two-month backpacking trip with Adam and my friend Matt. And when I came back um, the week before we went to college, I got baptized August 26, 2007. Um, and that's me and my uh, that's me and Pastor Dave coming out after we got baptized. It was it was an awesome day. Um, if you want to skip to the next slide, it's a certificate of of being baptized. Um, and I hadn't told my parents I became a Christian. In my freshman year, I lived with my parents of college because our house, our new house was only a block away. It seemed cheaper that way. So I put that underneath my bed, the only thing I've ever hidden from my parents, and it's the worst thing a Muslim parent could ever find, is a baptismal saying that your son, your eldest son, is a Muslim or a Christian. And so my younger sister was the age of six, and um, she went digging through my room as little sisters would, and she found that. And so she asked my dad what it is, because a six-year-old can't read. Um, so she gave it to my dad. I get back from my chemistry class, and my parents taught us at a young age, if you do anything wrong, you tell them right away there's no punishment. I never got grounded in high school. Um, if I broke a plate, I yelled, Mom, and then Mom would be like, clean it up. I would get no, or, uh, no punishment at all. So I came home, my parents were sitting there, and I knew something was wrong when you know something's up when you have eight, or I have seven siblings, three brothers, and four sisters, and when they're all in their rooms and mom and dad are sitting in the kitchen and you're the only one coming to get something, you know you're in trouble because they're all hiding. So I, knew, I came into the kitchen, got a Gatorade, looked over, mom and dad are sitting there, I'm like, where is everybody? And, I, and then my dad my mom slide over the baptismal certificate with my name on it, my birthday, and all my information, and they're like, what is this? And I sat there and told my parents I became Christian. And my parents did what typical parents in shock do. They didn't say anything. They're just kind of like, what do we do with him? So for, from, that was October 19th. From October until May, uh, when I decided to go to summer project, my parents didn't talk to me. My mom still like, did my laundry, put meals out, but my parents and I didn't talk unless it was necessary because it was just that awkward moment because for them, they're very conservative Muslims and they, they were very proud of um, the things I've accomplished. And when I was, was, when I was 16, I got to take a trip to Mecca um, from a pilgrimage, and that's a big thing for Muslims. It's one of the five pillars of faith that they have to commit before their life is over. And for them to find out that their devout Muslim son who's teaching on, sun, on Sundays, Saturdays and Sundays to younger generations and building them up became a Christian really hit them hard and really hit... It was hard for them to, um, to understand what I found. And if, I, if you want to flip to Romans 5, 8 through 11... This, will, this, is an, this shows why I became a Christian, or illustrates it best for me. Um, Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were, we were God's enemies, he was, he, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only... Not only is this so, but we also burst in God, or bur- bur- boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reckless. Ah, I cannot pronounce these words out loud. I apologize. Um, so I went, I went to summer project in 2008. I got placed in San Diego. If you want to skip to the next slide. Um, this is a group of people I had to go with. Um, I went to Mankato State at that time. That was my... 
Uh, it was the end of my freshman year. Um, these are lovely people. They're all, well, two of them are married. Three of them are married. And John's up in the cities working. If you want to skip to the next slide. When you get to summer project, you get placed, you get placed on um, teams, depending on what you filled out. Um, I filled out that I wanted to be an evangelism team, and I wanted to be an outreach because I like to meet people, and I like out, an outreach team just plan parties, in a sense, for the project to, to uh, bring people to know Christ by making activities. But I got pl- placed on this team. It was support team. This team is for the people who don't get jobs right away on project. So, yeah. And I didn't sign up for this team at all. And there was one other team I did not want to be put on, and that's this one. Prayer and World Vision. Um, if, if you know me, it's really hard for me to pray because of the fact that in my um, growing up, prayer is not a personal thing with God. You recite three verses, and you never ask God for anything. It's a master-servant relationship for the Muslims with um, their God. And so to be put on a team where I have to pray, not only for the world, but also lead praying during group time, was kind of hard. And then when uh, halfway through the project, the staff, leave, and then it's student-led. So guess who got put in charge of that team? I did. And I didn't want to be. But, I got it, but God knew in my heart these are things that I needed to work on and needed building up on. Um, and oh, another fact, when I left for summer project, that my parents sat me down and told me I'm not coming home. When I leave, this is me leaving. And they handed me a check for my life, what they've saved for me. And that was able to pay for my schooling and everything. But they told me I'm not coming home. And then during the summer, um, my whole extended family gave me a call telling me I'm disowned. So for God to place me on that team meant that he knew that I would need prayer and I would need to be in constant prayer. So that ended up being a wonderful thing, even though when I got put on it, I'm like, I don't want to be here. And I've, I've learned in my life, God puts you in places you don't want to be because those are things you need and need to learn through. And there was one other team I did not absolutely, on top of everything, I know it sounds bad because I have good, close friends. I did not want to be on that team. And they, I don't know. When my roommates found out that I like to sing, and the way they found out is someone walked in the shower and heard me singing. (laughs) So they told me to try out for worship. And I'm like, oh, I'm not that good of a singer. So they put me on it. And it ended up being a blast. I had so much fun. If you see the picture in the right, that's how you think our worship band did worship. Or left, but the one on the right, that's how we did worship. We rocked it. It was pretty fun. They're a good bunch of people, and we had a blast. Um, And Project was a great bonding time. It allowed me to make connections with people, allowed me to have the support system I needed for that first summer away from my family and just being on my own. And it built built a good foundation of what my Christian life was going to be like. When I came back um, from Project, I got asked to be in the crew leadership house. It was the first time a, a sophomore was asked to be on leadership, and I got to do my own team, which was an international ministry, and that's been a passion of mine. Um, and this is the summer project. This is all the guys and the bonding time. This was when we had our men's retreat to have, all, what was it, 69 men all together li- li- living for the summer, and then there was girls, but obviously they're not in the men's retreat picture. But yeah, this was my community of fellowship, and it was awesome. It was a good bonding experience, and I would absolutely hands down say send your kids to camps, send them to retreats, not only for parents to have that time away from their kids and get a break, but it's also good for them. They build great friendships and, and, um, and fellowship, and, and due to not only my best friend being 
um, Christian. It allowed my life to be transformed. And then these guys allowed my life to be even, like, I built a support system for when my family did disown me. It was, it was awesome. It happened during that men's retreat. It was the day before we took that picture. I was not good, but I got blessed to be in that time. Um, next picture, or next slide. And then this is a community of God, uh, people I had when I came back. This is a crew leadership my sophomore year. Um, I got to live with four of those guys, one of them who didn't live with us. And it was awesome. And the best part, my parents live on 108 Jacob Court. And the house that I moved into was 110 Jacob Court. So if you can picture, I live two houses away from my parents. And that's the house I moved into. So I got to see my family every single week, every single day. I got to see my little sister getting off the bus and running home. And it was really hard and really challenging for me to be placed that close to my family after being disowned. But I had great fellowship with um, Christian people. Um, there's, a, there's another verse, Matthew 6.26, if you want to jump to that. 6.26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? And, like, whenever I worried about what was going to be my future, what was going to be, what was I going to do for, like, finances, because I couldn't have, um, I had to be financially responsible for myself. I couldn't buy anything out of luxury. I had to always buy things of necessity. Ah, I cannot say those words. Oh, you guys make me nervous. Um, like, I couldn't buy things because I wanted them. I had to buy things because I needed them. And that, and that verse it was a constant reminder whenever I saw my family and my friends, I, I knew that God was taking care of me and I couldn't worry. And at the end of that, um, it says, can anyone of you worry, in, wor- can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And like, I couldn't constantly live in this life of worry. I just had to submit and let God work in my life and let him, um, let him take over. And that, yeah, so I went full-time full, full time focus on my ministry with international students. I don't know what the next slide is. It's been a while since I see these. Um, this, is what, this is what I will be doing after graduation. Oh, by the way, my, my major is a double. I'm taking biology and mathematics. Um, I was planning on going to, I got accepted into Northwestern Health Science University. It's a chiropractic school in uh, northern Minnesota in Bloomington. And I decided instead of doing that, I'm, I applied for, um, I first applied to stint. It's a short-term international mission trip to Paris. And the reason I, I was placed in Paris is because of my Muslim background. Paris has a large uh, Muslim population, and it is considered the mission graveyard of the world. All, mission, all missionaries that go to um, France tend to go for one year, and then after that, never go back to missions because it's such a dead and a hard group of people to reach. And that's where I got placed. And it was awesome. And, um, but I got asked to go down to New Mexico State University. My discipler from Project um, asked me to come and speak at their fall retreat and be with their speaker. And when I went, um, I met their staff members. I think the last picture is a picture with me with them at the retreat. There's all the guys. Um, when I was there, the staff was like, were trying to convince me to come down there instead of going overseas, and they insisted on it, and they were, they told me to pray about it. So I drove um, I drove down. It's a twenty. It was a twenty four hour drive. 
So on the way back, I had plenty of time to pray and think about it because there's nothing else to do. Um, so as I was, I was driving back, I was praying about it. All six staff members called me to ask me if I was praying about it because they really wanted me to go. And so because of that, I felt God was calling me there. So I applied, and then um, I got accepted, and now I'm a full-time in, uh, intern for Campus Crusade in New Mexico State. And to top it off, New Mexico State has 28,000 students, and 8,000 of them are international students and that's the ministry that I love and care about. And with, with crew, that is, is going to be my focus when I report to my campus is international students. And I get to start my own ministry. And I, get to, I will be doing Bible studies with um, freshmen and sophomores. But my main focus will be international students. And it's wonderful that God has provided all these, um, that large number of students for me to minister to. If you want to flip to Matthew 19.29, or if you want Mark 10.29, Jesus repeats himself um, in these two verses. And this is a verse that, I, that I've come to um, see happen in my life when it comes to losing. And and everyone who has left their left has left home or their brothers and sisters or fathers and mothers, wives or children or fields for my sake will have received a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And that is a promise that God has given to all of us. Um, and I can relate to it because that's, in my, as you know, my family did disown me and I gave that up for pursuing a relationship with Christ. But he's blessed me with a hundred times more. Like, every one of you is considered my brothers and sisters of Christ. Even though I don't personally know you, I will someday, hopefully. I do consider you guys to be family, and God has made that promise, and he's fulfilled it. In this room alone, there's more people than my family. Were. Um, and then my, my life first, I want to share with you guys, is Philippians 3, 7 through 9. Um, if you want to skip to that. But whatever, what, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider them a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss... Because, because everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that, that comes from from God on the basis of faith. Um, and then, if you want to skip to Colossians one twelve through fourteen. Um, this is sharing the inheritance that I have received through Christ. It says, and giving, joyful, uh, and giving joyfully thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share the inheritance of his, whole, uh, of his holy people in the light of the kingdoms. For he has rescued us from um, the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son he loves, in whom we have repentance and the forgiveness of sin. And then if you want to skip to 28 through... 29, it says, he is, he is the one who proclaims administering and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone full measure in Christ. To, to this end, I strongly consider, strongly consider what all the energy Christ is so powerful works in me. Um, and, that's, and that verse is a reference of proclaiming Christ's inheritance and going out. And then I'm going to leave one more verse. Colossians is my favorite book, by the way. Um, this, this last verse is for the church, for your church specifically. Um, and this is what I'm, I'm asking for you guys to do for me. 
as I pursue um, my ministry in New Mexico State. So Colossians 2 through 6, or 4, Colossians 4, 2 through 6, it says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that, my, that God may open a, a door for, for our message so that we may proclaim the ministry of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So I, I want to ask your church and everyone in here to keep that verse in mind and pray for me. So yeah.